Hey everybody, welcome to the latest iteration of Real Talk, the Game of Thrones edition. Um, I'm Shannon O'Hara, I'm here with Harry Tungall, and a special guest, former managing editor Chantel Lee. Um, this is a bittersweet moment for all three of us, we're big fans of the show, and this is the last episode coming up in front of us, so this is also going to be our last podcast. Um, but yeah, we definitely have a lot of opinions. Episode 5 was certainly a controversial episode, not just amongst the fan base, but amongst the three people in this room, I think. So yeah, we can definitely dig into it. Um, Chantel, do you want to read the first part of the recap? Sure. Um, okay, so the episode starts off by Varys writing a letter about Jon Snow's true heritage um, when he's informed that Daenerys Targaryen, who has since become distraught over Missandei's death, continues to refuse to eat. Um, John lands and Varys attempts to convince him to take the Iron Throne, but John refuses to betray Daenerys. Tyrion Lannister informs Daenerys of Varys's plot, and she has, has um, she has Varys brought before her and executed, having decided that fear is the only means she has now to assert herself. So this is kind of set up for... Uh, Danny's heel turn later in the episode. Um, all of her advisors are slowly kind of getting picked off. Um, and yeah, this is just the start of it. I know, Shannon, I know you have a theory. So my theory, you guys know that I love to pitch the dumbest theories that are out there. <laughs> so we know that in the beginning of the episode where scene, there's a scene where Varus is talking to one of the children that works for him as a spy and she has been trying to get Daenerys to eat, um, implying that Varys has been trying to poison Daenerys. One thing I might suggest is that Varys was successful in poisoning Daenerys, or rather, Martha was successful, um, and maybe that poison is what turned her mad. I don't have too many thoughts on Varys, so do you want to <laughs> You take the lead. Um, so I think the thing that really bummed me out most about this moment with Varys, and it really was a very touching way, I think, for this character to go out, um, but Conleth Hill, who plays Varys, took it so personally. And he was quoted saying that he was inconsolable after because he felt that the fact that they killed him off was because that he was doing something wrong. And, they, and, he was just, and it just broke my heart more than the actual death did. Um, but very sneaky way for him to go out. We all are wondering maybe where his letter went, if he was able to successfully send a letter. We do see him burning it, but it doesn't look like it is actually burning. Um, it seems redundant for the letter to be going to the north, um, given that Sansa already has that information, and if she felt necessary, she could spread it on her own. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on where that letter might go? Well, I don't know. I thought, like, maybe Dorne or the Iron Islands, but it kind of feels like they're not – the people that we've met there aren't coming back. Um, so I'm not I'm not really sure where else it could go. But one thing that did kind of bug me about Varys's death was I just – I he's such an intelligent and, like, um, calculated character that I just thought it wasn't believable that he would tell anybody about his doubts about Daenerys. Like, even Tyrion, like, someone that he's – become very close friends with the Tyrion is still hand of the queen um and I just I wouldn't I don't know I I thought that it was a very big shift for Varys to make a move that is not that intelligent and, and confide <laughs> in somebody about like a treasonous thought so this might be a little bit more of a left field um I guess like prediction but if it's not going to the north then if we're thinking of where Varys is sending these letters um maybe Essos that's what I was, mm. like, 
very unlikely that Dario comes back. <laughs> um, but I can see kind of um, this traveling a little bit further than mainland Westeros. Um, again, kind of left field, but who knows? Um, a lot of things in this episode that I wasn't a huge fan of, but one thing that I did really like just in terms of um, like craft and filmmaking and a really good visual is the image of uh, Varys burning the letter as kind of a nice little bit of foreshadowing um, for his eventual fate. Um, and that being said, it's kind of, again, Danny losing her most trusted advisors. Um, so when we do see her advisors kind of trying to give her suggestions, it falls on uh, unreceptive ears. Um, and we can kind of get into that moving right along. Um, just to reiterate, as always, our summaries come from Wikipedia. Uh, so Tyrion tries to dissuade Danny from attacking the common folk in King's Landing, with Daenerys only accepting if the common folk surrender and ring their city bell. Daenerys informs Tyrion that Jaime Lannister has been captured on his way to King's Landing and threatens Tyrion with death should he fail her again. Tyrion visits Jaime and frees him, telling him that he must convince Cersei Lannister to surrender while making arrangements for them to be smuggled to Pentos. Uh... Chantel, you got some thoughts on this. This is such a bad plan. Like, I just, like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I think Tyrion, like, for so many seasons was, like, the smartest person in King's Landing and was so, like, again, like, various, very calculated and always thinking, like, five steps ahead of his opponents. And and Danny's already furious with him and he decides to put all his trust in Jaime who, like, has already kind of shown that when it comes to Cersei, he'll always, like, be on her side. Um... And I just thought it was so, I don't know, like, <laughs> not a good plan, like a very not intelligent idea. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm super sick of Tyrion at this point. <laughs> I think his character is kind of down the drain, and I hope he feels like crap for, in, in my opinion, he is responsible for the death of both his siblings and the burning of King's Landing. Um, so, you know what? Screw you, Tyrion. It should be noted that I, on the podcast last week, was like, I'm with you, Tyrion. Um, so in addition to Tyrion feeling terrible about endorsing Danny, so do I. Um, so yeah, not a good look. Although, we can get into this more later. But yeah, I one thing that I'm really excited about, perhaps more so than seeing how the show resolves itself next week, is how do the people that backed Danny for so long respond to um, the atrocity that she committed which we can kind of get into later but um the show's really painted itself into a corner that i don't think it's gonna get itself out of within an hour and a half um and it really does kind of start with Tyrion, um as we pointed out um while on the subject of Tyrion, um something that i think will be really interesting to see if this pays off at all is what bran told him um, way back in the first few episodes of the season. There was that moment when um, Tyrion asked Bran, like, hey, what do you know? What's your story? And Bran's like, well, it's kind of a long story, and I don't think we have time. But then Tyrion's like, oh, just tell me anyway. Um, so it'll be really... I think it's going to be interesting to find out um, what exactly Bran told him that might be of strategic value. If, But that, that's kind of assuming that the show decides to do that at all. Um, as we can kind of know... The show doesn't 
really know what to do with either character at this point. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens then. No, yeah, I agree. I think um, we were talking about this. We, <laughs> I made the joke that people might not know by the end of the episode if Brand is alive or not because it was just he's like so underfeatured in the episode. Was one prediction that I have for it, um, and that could be funny, but not exactly what I want. Um, something else um, that I was thinking about in the context of this scene and um, Jamie visiting Tyrion, which first of all. Um, in the context of this episode, is really a gorgeous scene um, where Tyrion is telling Jamie that he never would have survived without him, and Jamie is saying, "No, you would have." And really gorgeous moment. Their hug was definitely a tearjerker. But I am curious to see kind of the consequences of this, both for Tyrion as well as for Davos, who aids in the smuggling out of Jamie Lannister, or what would have been. Um, and it may be that Danny, now that she's the Mad Queen, um, might seek punishment for those characters, and we might see the end of Sir Davos, um, much like we saw the end of Varys this episode. But yeah, certainly a lot going on there. Um, the rest of the episode, the following morning, Arya Stark and Sandor Clegane enter the city and join a crowd pressing into the Red Keep. Jamie also enters the city, but is forced to take another route after the Red Keep shuts its gates. Um, and then... Nothing too exciting there. I think we can all um, agree that we just needed to show that they had gotten there. Uh, but after that, um, unless... <laughs> Something that I was thinking um, and was somewhat validated on um, with like just the discourse around uh, this episode and like the Clash of Kings podcast, which I listened to. But it was kind of interesting because Arya and the Hound kind of arrive at King's Landing, but... I think I'm really interested to know what happens on the way there. The show doesn't have time for this stuff anymore, but um, I would have been really interested to kind of see what would happen what would happen on the road there. And it's kind of revealing of the nature of the show at this point, where it's just kind of like, we need to give you the payoff, and that's it. Um, that we get the Hound's kind of lesson to Arya in the moment of um, the Red Keep kind of falling apart. Um, it's just kind of like, okay, that needs to happen at that point. But if you, it's one of those things where if you think about it for a bit, then you might realize that, well, that might've been something that they would have talked about on the road, but, um, it's just kind of the nature of the show at this point. Um, but yeah, that's just my little tangent. Um, moving along in the episode, aboard Drogon, Daenerys destroys the Iron Fleet and the wall-top defense of Scorpions before blasting open the city's walls and incinerating the Golden Company, arrayed outside of it thus allowing her allied army to enter King's Landing. Um, we have a funny observation about uh, Drogon in this episode. Yeah, literally one dragon does more than all three did in eight seasons. Like, she had two dragons on the previous episode, and, like, they couldn't take out any of the ships that had those, what were they called? Scorpions, Scorpions those contraptions. Um, and then one dragon destroys the entire Iron Fleet and burns the entire city. Um, something that I had, like, heard off of, I don't remember, might have been The Ringer, but, um, I think pre, like, older generations of Targaryens would do this thing where if they were being attacked from the ground, they would fly their dragons, like, very high into the sky and then kind of dive bomb, um, whatever, like, anti-air, like, is kind of trying to shoot at them, uh, because you can't, like, pivot, 
like a scorpion or a ballista like kind of at a 90 degree angle um so i thought that's what daenerys might be doing as like a student of targaryen history but it was kind of funny because like you have other scorpions pointed like um not below her but kind of uh adjacent but yeah they really spent the dragon budget on this episode which is uh fun to watch until it's not (laughs) um one thing that i thought of very sincerely was that what if drogon's just really mad about losing Rhaegal? um but that's probably too silly for the show at this point (laughs) um anyway uh if we have no other thoughts then moving right along cersei refuses to surrender with the death toll rising on both sides the remaining lannister forces surrender on their own and ring the city bells without cersei's permission Daenerys ignores the bells, having Drogon incinerate fleeing soldiers and civilians alike. Grey Worm leads Daenerys' armies to slaughter Lannister soldiers, who have already thrown down their swords, while a horrified Jon unsuccessfully attempts to stop them. As Daenerys reduces much of the city to rubble, Jon and Davos Seaworth have their men fall back, while Tyrion enters the city through the destroyed wall in utter shock at Daenerys' brutality. Uh, yeah, Tyrion's not the only one who's shocked here. Um, I have some things to say, but before I do that, I think I should pass it off, uh, to y'all if y'all want to get anything in real quick. (laughs) I don't know where to start. Um, I think, like, for me, my biggest complaint is I just felt this shift in her character was, like, executed so poorly and, like, so suddenly. Um, and I think, like, my main, my main thing is I just, I thought it didn't really make sense to me that she would after um, the army surrendered, start burning, like, innocents, like, innocent civilians within the city. Um, I think maybe it would have been, like, an escalation of, like, her madness, but, like, still slightly more believable to me if, like, she burned the army even after they had surrendered. Um, But most of the people we see her her dragon burning alive are, like, random people in the middle of the city. Um, Or even, like, if the army hadn't surrendered and then she sacked the entire city, but just... Like, like she, I mean, there's, there's lots of criticism about Daenerys being like a white savior, um, and like coming into like, like freeing everybody from like enslavement and bad situations, but like she, so, and that's just like so deeply tied to her character of like her, like defending the innocence. And so I just felt that like her anger while like could lead to her madness was like misdirected. Um, I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah. So I'm fully on board with uh what you just said Chantel um I, I really just don't think that there's been enough to set up Danny's heel turn we've seen that she enjoys burning people alive but only when called for um only when she feels like she has a moral justification for doing so uh like she did with the slavers uh and asked for and marine um so it, it's really kind of Danny been like I will burn King's Landing if I have to but I think it's kind of weird to think about because Benioff and Weiss have been clearly building up to this for a very long time. And I just feel like the texts that they've laid out before us and the texts that we kind of receive are two different things. I think that Benioff and Weiss can point to things that say, okay, this telegraphed Danny's kind of turn at this point. Um, but for us as a viewer, it's kind of like we didn't really know that. So that doesn't really serve as sufficient evidence to back up the 
this point of the episode when Danny goes full Mad Queen. Um, and really, it's just kind of if we had more time to set up like the effects of losing Masande, losing Varys, and if we really felt her isolation rather than having people tell us that she is isolated, then I think Daenerys's heel turn would feel less jarring. Um, so it really just is kind of a matter of rushing to like from A to C without first doing B, at least in my opinion. Um, I think people will point to burning the Tarleys um, and any of like burning um watching um Viserys get burned with molten gold as points where as points of justification for this heel turn but to me that doesn't suffice that Shannon do you have any thoughts on this I mean I guess in one sense like I did feel this coming and I felt like tonally and narratively like this was the only direction that Danny's character could go and so I wasn't at all surprised that I felt emotionally prepared for this heel turn essentially that doesn't mean yeah that I am kind of with you guys on in terms of the execution was underwhelming I think in my opinion and in the context of just how this show characterizes women across the board like it was frustrating to see that she's just um another character female character who is either a horrible victim of something that's been so utterly tragic or is going mad and that sucks (laughs) like so it's like in that context like I'm definitely not a big fan of how this went down but that being said like I I I saw it coming does that sound like a flex I saw it coming (laughs) but I am hoping though that in the next episode that Danny does give a chance, get a chance to kind of rationalize or explain herself. Um, I am very interested in the thought process of that specific moment when the bells were ringing. Um, and I think that will definitely depend on what other characters do after this moment, which is kind of our next big thing that we can discuss probably. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about characters, next moves, then it's going to be interesting to see how John reacts. Um, as I kind of mentioned previously, John's kind of been like, I will follow my queen, um, but not the greatest idea. Um, so we kind of have on our show notes that like, if you were smart, then he'd go to Sansa and seek counsel um, for how to deal with the Danny situation. But uh, Chantal, I know you have some thoughts on whether or not John's actually going to do that. Yeah, but he's not smart. Um, I love him, but... He has, I feel like, and there was, I saw a few memes about this. It seems like his one line in this season is just, I I, I stand by my queen. I stand by Danny. Um, and I think he also just, like, consistently seems to underestimate Sansa and, like, her intelligence and, like, her strategies. And I don't think he'll, like, of all the people, I don't think he would turn to her. Um, yeah, I, I, I know, like... Do you want to talk about that theory about Arya, like, dying? Maybe at the end. Maybe at the end. Okay. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, like, I think he's just – like, I certainly feel like he was horrified in that episode. Um, And I would would hope that it would cause him to, like, rethink his allegiance to Danny, but I don't know. I have two ideas about what could happen to Jon next. One is – 
that he meets with Tyrion, and Tyrion has now been sufficiently convinced that Danny has to go. Um, and I think that this would be satisfying in that it's very reminiscent of season one when John and Tyrion um, have some early interactions. Um, so in that way, I think that could be a very interesting dynamic where these two characters are now depending on each other to um, give up on the woman that they both love. Um, on the flip, John may be in trouble um, because Danny, if she truly is mad and is um, as mad as her father was, then her next move might be to off the competition, and she may justify this by wanting to punish John for treason. We see that John and Grey Worm share a look um, during the battle when Grey Worm begins killing off um, some of the Lannister soldiers, um, and John tries to stop them. And so it may be that in addition to Tyrion and Davos being punished for trying to smuggle out Jamie Lannister, John is caught up in trying to counteract her um, assault on King's Landing. So John may not get the chance to do what he wants if he's not careful enough, if she truly has gone full Mad Queen. We just don't know how mad she really is yet, if that was a moment of we anger and weakness. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to say that never would have happened if Jorah was here. Thank you very much, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. One thing I wanted to say, going back to what you said, Shannon, about like the way that the show kind of deals with women, is I think what I find just kind of kind of frustrating is the women who are like eager to take on positions of power or like who have like these goals to to rule or to lead um, are very quickly depicted as like mad or crazy, like Cersei and now Danny. Um, but the men don't want these positions of power and they're they're portrayed as like very selfless, and that's why Varys thinks that John is the best leader for the realm. Um, I don't know. I just, that kind of bugs me that the idea that like a woman who has ambition to like move up in positions of power is like treated as crazy. There's that line in the episode that Vera says, like men, like men decide who has power or yeah. something like that. And then our viewing parties is kind of cringed like collectively. <laughs> um, that being said, yeah, it, I feel like the show is kind of positioned Danny as like the show has definitely positioned Danny as the one as the one person where everyone has to kind of unite against, and I feel like the inevitable conclusion to that is Danny dying. Mm -hmm. So, just having, like you said, Chantal, like the most ambitious like woman in Westeros, like be punished for that, um, not a good look. Yeah. Um, that being said, I do see John surviving. Um, Danny punishing John, yes, uh, definitely. Um, but I do see the show kind of giving John an out. Um, and honestly, I feel like the only way for John to not have to, I feel like the most kind of clean way for John to get out of this is to end the show by becoming a wildling. Um, we had that moment with Tormund where he says, you've got the North and you're the true North. Um, cause I just don't see him occupying much of a leadership role in Westeros cause I think the show knows that we know that he hasn't kind of risen to the occasion um, when really called for. So maybe I'm just underestimating the show um, or overestimating the show, but I don't see John sticking around for like being much of a political presence in Westeros. Um, he does thrive beyond the wall. So I kind of see that, uh, that being where it heads. So Jamie kills Euron Greyjoy in a duel, though Jamie suffers grievous wounds, leaving him slowly progressing to Cersei in the Red Keep. The Hound convinces Arya to give up her desire for revenge against Cersei so she might live. Um, we thought the Jamie Euron fight was pretty funny. 
I hate to say it, but this may have been my favorite scene in the whole episode and one of my favorites for the season. It's just so funny to see these two horny men duking it out. Also, I just love a good, like, close combat, like, sword fight, punch fight. I'm into that. Um, But it was just so, like, the worst timing, you guys. Like, so silly to me. Um, But, yeah, I think the more important half of this was the conversation between... Sandor and Arya, which is another beautiful, probably the best acted moment in this episode. Um, Just a really touching scene that in ways where other moments I think felt fresh in this episode, this one felt just right and felt like the perfect way to kind of end this eight season long story between these two characters um, because they've definitely crossed paths more than once. What we don't know is kind of what this conversation will mean for Arya. She decides that she will not pursue revenge and she will not go after Cersei. Um, but we don't know what that means for her next move and whether she's done killing people if the list is out of there or if she's going to just go for somebody else and maybe go for Danny potentially. Yeah, I was just going to say I like I loved that scene. I think um, the Hound is kind of like a mentor, father figure that Arya didn't want um, and didn't think she needed. Um and so having him, like, it's been kind of scary to see Arya going down the path of the Faceless Men and seeing how um, that's been, like, shaping her life, really, is her list for revenge. And so having the Hound kind of snap her out of that, I thought was really touching. Um, but, yeah, in terms of where she goes next, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think definitely there is a possibility that she could have a conversation with Dan in the next episode about Danny since they were both in the midst of, like, all of that sacking of King's Landing, and they were both seemed pretty horrified by it. We have a few predictions of where we think Arya could go. Um, The first kind of being that she does kind of fulfill, um, like, kind of, if even though she can't cross off Cersei off her list anymore, she might still kind of carry that ethos forward by being the one to take down Danny. Um... Alternatively, something that we've been kind of tossing around is that she might let everyone that she knows presume her dead and just take a new face and kind of claim that Arya died in King's Landing. Um, Shannon, I know you think that she might take Tyrion's face uh, and use that to kill Danny, which I think uh, could be on the money, um, as you have been all season. Um, and Chantel, I know you have kind of a darker theory than that, if it's even possible. Well, I can't, I can't take credit for this one, but I, I read some, like, fan theory about um, it was the battle against the Night King, but Jon dies, and Arya takes his face because she thinks that the realm needs Jon more um, than the realm needs her. Um, and so I thought, what if something similar happened where Danny kills Jon and Arya is, like, hiding in the background and sees it, and so she, like, I don't know, kills Danny in revenge, but she takes Jon's face and then becomes the king of the Seven Kingdoms. What a twisted, like, end to their relationship. <laughs> it's um, heartbreaking. It is, yeah, it is heartbreaking. Um, but as is the show, um, least heartbreaking route is that she teaches Gendry how to use a fork over in Storm's End. Um, so who knows? Maybe. This is just occurring to me for the first time, but is it possible at all that Daenerys makes it out of this last episode? I almost wonder... If Daenerys might win in the end and sit on the Iron Throne, just not 
necessarily in the way that she first imagined she would. But I think we're all putting all of our cards on Daenerys biting the bullet. And while, yeah, I agree, I think that'll happen, I'm going to put on the record that it might not happen so that I can increase my chances of being right. Speaking of being right, there's another theory that you showed us recently um, where Arya's the literal god of death. Uh, do you want to go into that? Yeah, so the suggestion with this theory is that um, there is, I forget the exact quote, but there is a quote that talks about the god of death riding in on an ashen horse. Um, and you may remember that there is an ashen horse at the end of this episode, and we'll kind of get to that when we get to that part of the recap. But it does suggest to me that Arya, maybe throughout the entire process of this journey, will come to embody the god of death. And I think that would be pretty cool. Um, there is debate about whether that also means that maybe she did actually die in those final moments and she has been either resurrected by the Lord of Light or she is not quite alive and we just kind of see her as she is. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting theory um, that, yeah, we have lots of thoughts on. <laughs> but we can jump to the next point. Um, as Cersei and her entourage attempt to escape, Sandor interrupts and swiftly kills the Queen's Guard to set up a duel between him and his brother, Gregor Clegane. Kyburn interjects, and Gregor easily murders him. Cersei flees, and Sandor ultimately tackles Gregor off the keep to both their deaths. This was the Clegane bull, y'all. You asked for it, and you got it, and it was fine. <laughs> it was fun. It was too long. <laughs> I was not into that clue game bowl too long. I also thought the end result of like the hound gets what he wants by killing the mountain, but both of them dying in the process was, I don't know, it was very predictable for a very long battle. But one interesting conspiracy theory is <laughs> when the mountain took off his helm, he looked almost exactly like Varys. So <laughs> maybe Varys isn't a merman, but is actually the mountain. What <laughs> is um yeah i'm on the same page as you i okay it's kind of a weird thing where the paratext influences the text and that like the fan theory is that okay like the hound's gonna fight the mountain and like you know uh it's gonna be clickable but it's kind of like we've baked that into our heads for so long that when it actually happens it kind of feels like you're just taking off a box of like okay we have to do this and it kind of makes sense that it would happen because they're both in the same place at the same time um so yeah, kind of like you, I was a little bit bored because it did seem like kind of like a foregone conclusion. Um, worth noting, it's not the only bowl that we got because uh, in the like um, in the game revealed episode that they released, that HBO released, uh, they referred to the Jamie Euron fight as the Dane Bowl because mm -hmm. they're both Danish, and I thought that was a pretty fun pun. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's my sense of humor. Um, <laughs> So kind of the other thing that was kind of interesting here is that Kyburn dies. Um, the mountains just kind of throws Kyburn, um, and that's how he goes. Um, so we are wondering if why the mountain just didn't do that three seasons ago. Do we have thoughts on this? I don't have thoughts on that, but on like why he didn't do it earlier. Um, but I think it's an interesting parallel to the Hound saying like, I don't remember which season when he's traveling with Arya, but it's like, fuck the king, like, fuck the gods, the like, idea that the hound and the mountain don't really fight for, like, 
one ruler. But um, I did think, and this is only because my thesis is on this, but um, the mountain killing Kyburn was a very interesting parallel to Frankenstein and the creature trying to destroy his creator. Um, I liked how that worked on that level. I don't think the show is cognizant of that. And <laughs> no, it's kind of. Not. No, but it's. I think, like, the interesting thing is, like, how baked into our collective imaginations it is, like, elemental storytelling of, like, Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting to think about. Um, so, moving right along, uh, Jamie reunites with Cersei, leading her through the crypt to try and escape. The damage to the Red Keep causes the cellar to collapse, with Jamie con- comforting his sister in their final moments. Um, so, Shannon, I know we're kind of, like, we don't really care that they died by rocks. Um, but Chantal, I know you got some thoughts on this. I hate it. Um, <laughs> I I just felt like the prophecy of um, Cersei dying by her little brother's hand was just kind of like thrown out the window and like manipulated in a way. So it's just like she's dying like in his arms. Um, and it was kind of lame to me. Just kind of um, felt like, like Romeo and Juliet, Pompeii kind of style thing um and she's such a big character in the show and has been in the last few seasons like such a major villain and her death is just very lame like we she just like dies we assume because we don't really actually see what happens um that she just is buried alive by rocks um and i think the the one thing that i was really confused about is why daenerys didn't like didn't go straight to find cersei um like she is angry at cersei cersei is the embodiment of um like everything that like the person the people who took everything away from her family um and instead she goes around killing all these innocent people um and just lets cersei die by happenstance and i would have thought that danny would have wanted to bring cersei in and like do a very public like public execution um or like imprison her or like make her pay for her crimes and that did not happen and i just felt like a major character like cersei should get a more like a, a bigger scene if she's being killed off the show yeah no that's definitely fair i think for one thing to address the prophecy i i like the idea that not only did she die with her like jamie's hands like around her but also like the life was choked out of her by like the orchestration of Tyrion's plan and so in a way Tyrion was the one to kill her like she always thought but he did so trying to save her which i don't know is the kind of dramatic irony i like game of thrones for um in terms of, yeah, Dying by Rocks, like, certainly, I thought the scene was poorly cut in terms of just, like, very abruptly we see the rocks all coming down, and I was convinced that that meant they were fine, and everyone was like, no, Shannon, they died just now, and I was like, oh, my gosh. But that being said, I thought the dialogue, um, though it was brief, was very good, it was very nice, and um, both actors did, I think, a spectacular job with those final moments. Um, the other half of this is not only um, thinking about well, what it means for Cersei, but also what it means for Jamie. And there's been a lot of backlash about this kind of shirking his character arc, um, which I almost disagree with. Um, I think that this was an, an inevitable moment for him. Um, but I don't know if anyone disagrees with that or has thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't disagree with um, that Jamie kind of regresses back um, to being that person. Um, I think it was just another issue of I wish we had more time to really kind of see Jamie feel the withdrawal that he feels for Cersei. Um, let him kind of struggle with it before making the decision to go back. And But 
again, that's just the nature of the show being six ep- the season being six episodes long, which is rather baffling. Um, so I think the thing that I find interesting about the Jamie and Cersei death is just that we've already dealt with the emotional consequences of them kind of splitting off and reuniting. Um, we've seen them kind of have um, their reunion a few seasons ago, albeit less emotional. Um, but it is still kind of that territory of kind of having them kind of split off and come back. So I'm kind of a little bit, uh, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but when they kind of reunite, it's not really emotional stakes that feel particularly new to me. Um, I was kind of, I don't know, the threat of imminent death didn't really unlock any like new emotional ground I felt for either character. Um, so again, it's just the nature of the show being, of the nature of the season uh, being rather short. Um, but yeah, I did like, uh, like you said, Shannon, I really liked that. Uh, they they did uh, kind of fulfill the Valencar prophecy of uh, Cersei indirectly dying by the hand of a younger brother. Um, so after this, it kind of, the show pivots to kind of Arya's perspective and she experiences the destruction of King's Landing firsthand, uh, barely escaping uh, on horseback. This is kind of a part of the show that I feel somewhat conflicted on. Uh, in the game revealed kind of behind the scenes show, uh, Banyoff and Weiss said that the firebombing of Dresden was like an aesthetic point of departure, which I feel a little conflicted about just because it's like, it's a cinema of attractions. You're kind of, um, you're bound to kind of feel like an affinity for the screen. Um, so when what's on screen is kind of terrible and horrifying and kind of like um, just really horrific. Um, on the one hand, I'm like, wow, I'm really kind of amazed that you are able to accomplish this as a technical feat. But on the other hand, I feel a little uncomfortable. I, I will say the, the sheer kind of logistical feat of staging some of these shots. Um, first of all, as a oneer, like so many things have to go right um, in order for the shot to work. And the fact that there are so many of those within the episode is kind of mind blowing. It's almost like I think of uh, the third act of Children of Men, um, where it's Alfonso Cuarón's um, kind of long take following, again, a kind of like war zone. Um, but I, I almost feel like this is a whole different level of magnitude. Um, in that kind of game revealed episode, they show how um, they couldn't film um, in the city of Dubrovnik as they usually do for King's Landing. They had to build King's Landing. Um, and that meant building the entire city, um, including interiors so that you can kind of move um, in and out of, sh- um, of buildings. Um, and it's just kind of building the city from the ground up is um, kind of amazing to me that you have a show where uh, this is possible. Like we always knew that Game of Thrones is like the biggest show in, in the world, but um, we're really kind of made to feel it in this episode, I feel like. Um, so as much as I feel like Danny kind of going Mad Queen and burning um, King's Landing is not particularly great in terms of story because we don't really, at least I didn't really kind of feel like the show had earned it by that point. I am amazed um, at the kind of cinematic achievement that uh, Benioff Weiss and director Miguel Sapochnik were able to achieve here. Uh, worth noting, Miguel Sapochnik, um, 
this is the second episode in the season aside from uh the long night which is the battle of winterfell um and i almost rationalize it as like the battle of winterfell is like the thing that's super hyped up and then like this is kind of like the the actual kind of bravura like achievement of season eight um so i mean props to the marketing team for not giving away any of this um so that's my yeah those are my thoughts on it um I know we have some thoughts on how the scene ended. Yeah, so this moment ends, um, and I also, yeah, completely agree. I think some of the cinematography and the shots in this episode are stunning and probably will stay, I think, with the fan memory for a long time. Um, but yeah, it does end with Arya face-to-face with a horse covered in ash. Um, to me, this moment felt super Lord of the Rings. Um, some of the memes out there say the horse is an Uber that Bran sends for Arya, and... You know, I don't mind that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, give Bran something to do. Um, But yeah, we mentioned earlier that this could indicate that she is the god of death. Um, Another theory that I saw out there from Michael Walsh, excuse me, at Nerdist, um, reads, Fans looking for a character to unite ice and fire into one harmonious world-saving song were taking the prophecy too literally. If Arya kills Daenerys Targaryen, following her descent into tyranny, she will truly be the prince that was promised in a way we hadn't considered before. Arya will be a song of ice and fire. It will just be a song about destroying both of them instead of uniting them. I love this theory. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I wish um, Arya is, like, as you both know, my favorite character on the show, and I will defend her until my last breath. Um, And I think the idea that she... um, and destroys both things that are threatening the realm, um, I like. And she's the true hero of the story, the person that no one believed could ever be a hero. Yeah, and I think Arya being the uh, actual Azor Ahai, um, I like that because Arya is such a great character. And if it were to go anyone, I would love it to be Arya. But also because we've seen um, her kind of rise to that position. We've seen her kind of really... um, endure so many trials to get to that position like from being unable like from being so distressed at seeing ned stark beheaded to her kind of uh traveling with the brotherhood without banners to going through um her training as a faceless man it's kind of like it's the logical endpoint for that character in a way that uh feels very very earned to me um so i would love it if uh she is Azarahai. Um the two kind of subpoints on our show notes for this like theory are oh shit and OMG, which uh it's very appropriate. Um so I don't know, do we have any final thoughts on where the show is gonna go with the final episode? Kind of um any thoughts on the season as it seems to be wrapping up? Yeah, I mean, this will be definitely an emotional endpoint, I think, for all fans, whether you liked this season or not. And this certainly was a controversial season. Um, And I think we all feel that we were kind of rushed to an ending. Um, And maybe we were ready for the show to end, but would have liked kind of more time to sit with each of these characters and see how they grow in this last season. Um, I think we've all made um, some really solid predictions about who's going to kill who and who will end up on top. And I think, like the show, like always is, will surprise us in some way. And I look forward to that. Um, Varus is a merman. Thank you. <laughs> so the overwhelming kind of tone of the discourse is, like, season eight, bad. 
Um, but as much as we complain about certain plot elements or certain choices, um, there's a lot to admire. Um, as a, on a technical standpoint, I really feel like Game of Thrones is kind of unparalleled um, in what it's been able to achieve. Um, and that being said, I do kind of want to talk about like where the fan culture's at. Um, just just today, Shannon, you sent me like uh, a link that was like the there are some fans that want to petition uh, season eight to be rewritten and remade, um, which is very silly. Um, and this is the type of reaction that we see after um, things like Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which got. Um, a lot of fans riled up um, unnecessarily, if you ask me. Um, and also, um, just like fan culture is really kind of entitled. I feel like um, people feel like they deserve whatever show that they have like in their heads. I'm, I don't love uh, what happens uh, to Danny or the way that the show is kind of executed its overarching vision. But I guess what I'm saying is just be nice, be civil. Um, it's just a show. Go read the books if you don't like the show. That's all I got. Um, and I don't know, Chantal, if you have any last thoughts. Oh, um, yeah, I guess I was just going to say I think one thing that's been really great um, in a lot of episodes this season is just, like, the acting. Um, even, like, if the dialogue was lagging or if I wasn't crazy about the way that, like, um, the creators wrote some of the characters' story arcs, I think the actors still pulled it off really beautifully, like particularly Amelia Clark, I think with Danny, like I wasn't like, like, like we've discussed, I think like her character arc wasn't my favorite, but I think she executed it very well. And I think that's like worth noting too. Yeah, no, absolutely. The acting, the season is great. Like, I think everyone knows that this is it. Um, so they're really bringing their A game. Um, that being said, uh, I guess it's time to wrap up uh this podcast really because um we won't have an episode next week because we are graduating um yay um that being said uh Chantel thank you for being here it's been it's always lovely to talk about Game of Thrones <laughs> with actual Daily Cal royalty um <laughs> and yeah and Shannon it's been great talking Thrones with you uh on the podcast every week for the last five weeks or so it's been yeah um I, also yeah thank you to both Harry and Chantel love this podcast and I've had a great time um, kind of engaging with the world of fan theories and conspiracies and predictions and getting really into the lore. That was such a pleasure and I'm glad we got to do it together. Um, yeah, we will be right along with you guys watching the finale and please feel free to tweet us at Daily Cal Arts. Um, let us know how you feel about the season. Um, even if you didn't like it, we still would love to talk about it with you. And also, I will be writing a review of the season for Daily Call Arts and Entertainment, and please check that out online on our website. So, all right. Thank you guys so much, and we're signing off.